I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. There is hardly a musician who does not cite Steve Reich as an influence, especially his 1978 work, Music for 18 Musicians. Reich has moved away from that cyclical sound over the years, but his new album, Reich Richter, brings him right back. Richter is Gerhard Richter, the German abstract painter. I talked to Steve Reich about his new album and a book of interviews called Conversations, where he interviews artists like Brian Eno, Michael Tilson Thomas, and David Harrington from Kronos, and more about Steve Reich's music. I thought that they would be very qualified to talk about that because I know who they were and I knew that they were qualified. And I also told them that I wanted to talk about what they did. But the people that I spoke to were familiar. You know, Michael Tilson Thomas knew my music from A to Z. And that's why I asked, you know, if he would do the conversation with me. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about Echoes Online. You're traveling around this summer and you're going to go places where Echoes isn't, but you could take the perfect travel soundtrack with you by getting a subscription to Echoes Online. Echoes Online gives you 24-7 on-demand access to Echoes shows. There's also exclusive online-only streams and Echoes shows without the talking just the music. Just get the free Echoes app on your cell phone and you can take Echoes with you pretty much anywhere you can get a signal. Whether you're lying on the beach in the Caribbean, bombing down an interstate in the Midwest, or moving through the ancient sites of Europe, Echoes can score your journey. Go to echoes.org to find out more about Echoes Online. And now, let's hear from Steve Reich. Steve Reich is a towering figure in modern music. He was among the quartet of pioneers that included Philip Glass, Terry Riley, and Lamont Young, who changed classical and art music in the 1960s going into the 70s. Now Reich at 85 is a venerable figure who is looking back in Conversations. That's a book of interviews he conducted with musicians who are in his orbit. But he's also moving forward with a new album, Reich Richter. But that may call up some memories as well. Steve Reich's 1978 recording, Music for 18 Musicians, is a seminal album that is still cited by musicians across the spectrum. And in many respects, Reich Richter is a return to that sound. Yeah, as a matter of fact, interestingly enough, uh, rarely does the new piece come out that compares where the uh, reviewer will talk about, this is kind of like related to Music for 18 Musicians. It has some of the beauty and the structural force and integrity. I think one person used the word inevitability of that piece. So, uh, yes, uh, that wasn't consciously done. Reich Richter shares a similar timbral palette with 18 musicians, including two vibraphones and two pianos, along with wind instruments and strings. It also shares an unfolding aspect in the first two movements. Reich says it was all down to the inspiration of the work, the art of German abstract painter Gerhard Richter, which was transformed into a film by Karina Belts and Richter. It began with the artist cutting up his own paintings in a computer for a book called 
patterns. What happened was that Richter has done a lot of abstract paintings, and that's how he started. He and Carino took, a, I think it's in the 1990s, a painting, scanned it into the computer, cut the scan in half, cut each half in half, and then of those quarters, one of those quarters on each side was flipped. So you had a kind of symmetry. And he goes from halves to quarters to eighths to sixteenths, all the way to 4096. So what happens is that you go from an abstract painting to kind of a strange looking creatures because once you have isosymmetry, two eyes, two ears, you begin to become sort of some kind of creatures. But once you get down to a couple thousand, four thousand, you're basically just turning into stripes. That's how the book goes. The movie begins with those stripes, goes back towards the full painting, but doesn't quite get there, and then goes back to the stripes. So, as I say, the structure really, I thought this is perfect for me. And, you know, this guy's a great artist that I admire for lots of things that have nothing to do with this particular uh, film. And uh, so it went ahead. The music Reich created loosely follows the trajectory of the film. I wrote two pieces which will also be coming out pretty shortly called Runner and Music for Ensemble and Orchestra. And uh, both pieces end with a kind of oscillation, da -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba. two notes back and forth. I thought, wouldn't it be great to just start that way with just an oscillation of da -da -ba -da -ba, back and forth, two notes. And uh, when I was talking to Richter, actually I think it was probably Karina Bells because she's the hands-on film person. That it opens up with two pixels. Now, I don't know if that literally means two pixels or that was just the way she spoke about it. But uh, I went, wow, so this is going to be my opportunity to follow up an idea that I had before I ever was approached by Richter to do the music. So that was the first kind of, oh, here's the chance to do what I wanted to do. And wow, look at the structure of this thing in terms of what she called the pixel count. It gets bigger and bigger, and then it gets smaller and smaller. That's an arch form. I've been into that since I was a student at Juilliard falling in love with Bartok's fourth and fifth quartet. Reich has said that he'd been trying to get away from systematic music and now Richter's putting him back in that box. Richter is known to be non-systematic. Uh, and then this is very systematic, which for him is unusual. But that's when we joined forces, so to speak. So I joked, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> here you go trying to make me sound like I did years ago. And in a sense, the good part is that, as people say, it reminds them of music for 18 musicians. And hey, you know, it could be a lot worse than that. While the first two movements draw comparisons to music for 18 musicians, the third movement, titled Crossfades, is more muted with what I described as a phasing Doppler effect to Reich. Everybody says, oh, Reich, does Reich stopped doing phasing 50 years ago. What I do use is canons. I see something followed by itself. But what you're talking about is not that either. It's 
one slow chord be getting louder and louder and then it hits its peak and as it does that a different chord with similar instruments fades up and they overlap and that's why that section of the piece is referred to as crossfades. Alongside the Reich Richter album, Steve Reich has released a book called Conversations. He spent his pandemic isolation contacting people in his orbit, including conductors, musicians, a record executive, and one big fan, Brian Eno. Although Reich is conducting the interviews, the subjects aren't really there to talk about their work. They're there to talk about Steve Reich's music and the impact it had on their own compositions and performances. Well, I told them that the book was, you know, it was my book. It was a book about my music. <laughs> so, and I thought that they would be very qualified to talk about that because I know who they were and I knew that they were qualified. And I also told them that I wanted to talk about what they did. And so Nico Muley really prepared. I think uh, Brian Eno mostly, you know, he, he did his preparation long before we talked. I think uh, Nico is probably the, the person who consciously put in the most preparation. But the people that I spoke to were familiar. You know, Michael Thilson Thomas knew my music from A to Z. And that's why I asked, you know, if he would do the conversation with me. And David Robertson the same, and uh, Russell Hartenberger goes without saying, and on and on and on. Almost to a person, they extol the wonders of Steve Reich and his music, usually citing a particular piece as life-changing. Many, including artist Richard Serra and conductor Michael Tilson Thomas, cite Come Out. For composer and Bang on a Can co-founder Michael Gordon, it was Piano Phase. For composer Nico Muli, it's The Cave. And for Julia Wolfe, it's Music for 18 Musicians. Then there's Brian Eno. Brian has a lot to say about It's Gonna Rain. <laughs> I laugh because after It's Gonna Rain, he said, thank you very much, I'm off. And he was. Here's Brian Eno from a 1987 interview. He cites that work, along with Cornelius Cardew's X for Henry Flint, as a great reveal. And it, it really was the beginning of a, a way of listening for me. That and the Steve Reich piece, It's Gonna Rain. It's Gonna Rain was very, very important as well. And both of them had a lesson for me that I've never forgotten, which is that the relationship between input and output is a very complex one <laughs> within a piece. It's Gonna Rain uses a very, very small amount of original material, but it produces a very complex, shifting output.
Boston Symphony Orchestra conductor Michael Tilson Thomas has conducted a few Reich works and famously performed an early piece, Four Organs, on stage with the composer. They were verbally assaulted by the audience with pleas to stop. They talk about that, and Thomas also throws a Reich quote back at the composer, pretend that I'm dead. <laughs> no, the reason I said that to Michael was that conductors and musicians who interpret the music of any composer you like will make decisions, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious, just the, the way they play, the way they conduct. Michael's more theatrical in his actual real-life background and in his temperament than I am. So he suggested this for the interpretation of the desert music in a particular section where there was brass. And I said, well, pretend I'm dead, which was A, a joke, but B, saying, pretend I'm not here, interpret it the way you do it because I trust you. I know that you really love and take my music seriously, so I want to get what you have in mind, not what I had in mind. I want to be surprised because I know it'll be a good surprise. It's a good thing that Reich developed that attitude. Composers like him, Phil Glass, and Terry Riley were revolutionary in the 1960s and 70s, bypassing classical orchestras by playing music with their own ensembles or solo. But now they've become part of the classical establishment with their works performed by classical orchestras and ensembles around the world. So at that point, a lot of other ensembles around the world were playing the music and some orchestras were playing the music and that continues. So from being a composer who had his own ensemble and basically if we didn't play it, no one did, which is what I sort of wanted because it, it, back in the 70s and 80s, I know other people would have really butchered it. <laughs> what brought that to mind was Michaela Haslam. Yeah. In your book, she mentions that when she was coming up in school, no one mentioned Steve Reich. Right. That was now back in the everyone's 80s. writing dissertations on your work. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, well, Michaela went to uh, school in the 80s originally, and that was absolutely true. Now there's probably more going on in the UK sometimes than there are, is in the US. She went through that, so that's accurate. I mean, uh, the composer David Lang once said something to me I think was very telling. He said, I envy when you were born. <laughs> That's a very uh, intelligent remark because I didn't decide when to be born, but I came of age in the 50s and became active in the 60s and went on the road, so to speak, in the 70s and 80s. And that was in the heyday of serial and uh, aleatoric, that is chance music, the, the music of Boulez, Stockhausen, Barrier, and John Cage, which was basically without a pulse, without a tonal center, with a limited listenership, I think we could say accurately. And here I come and other people in my generation and we're using lots of repetition, harmonies that stayed put for a long time and uh, just the opposite. And it turned out to be, you know, just exactly what was right for our time, meaning the late 60s, 70s, 80s and, and onward.
you're waiting for Steve Reich to compose a conventional autobiography, don't hold your breath. Conversations is it. <laughs> no, it's done. I read Stravinsky's Poetics of Music, and I, I loved it. I made a big impression. Then I tried to read his autobiography, and it was so boring, I just stopped reading it. I'm not a guy who wants to know when they were married, and when they were divorced, and what their children did, and who were their enemies, and who were their friends. I'm not interested. I know people are interested. I'm not. I'm interested in the work and what I could learn from it and what they have to say about it and their thoughts about it and all that. And uh, that's been enormously helpful to me in my life. So there's a lot of biographical material in the Conversations book, by the by. My mother is a, mentioned, that, and ex, mentioned there. That's it. And uh, if you want more, sorry, wrong number. <laughs> At 85, Steve Reich isn't slowing down much. He has two new works in the hopper, runner and music for ensemble and orchestra. He's also the eighth icon of Echoes. His new release is Reich Richter on None Such Records, and his book is Conversations, published by Hanover Square Press. I will have a link to Steve Reich's Reich Richter album in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. I'll also have a link there for his book, Conversations. It's all at echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next time, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.